Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 154. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction audio magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So, week two of Women Writing About Aliens Month, and the theme of this week, True Love Waits. That's Waits, W-E-I-G-H-T-S. The Burdens of Sexual Reproduction. For many organisms, including humans, sex isn't always a piece of cake or a cakewalk in the park. It's not always as easy as taking cake from a baby or shooting cake in a barrel. No, sometimes it's confusing and complicated, even frustrating. Four out of five sophomore Pi Kappa Alphas. Did you get in her pants? She's not that kind of a girl, booger. Why, does she have a penis? And eight out of ten convicted sex offenders agree. In her profile it says 102. How does Yahoo let these people online? Rick, she tells you so clearly you that she's 12. So you check her profile and there's 102 age so, so you're saying you thought you were talking to a 102-year-old woman who you wanted to sexually please? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just no, saying, sounds it, like what why you're saying. can't people be honest? Oh, finally somebody who gets it. I don't know, man, but you're not alone. Even two out of three Barry Whites agree. I love you, baby. Hi, this is Barry White. This shit, man. I'm gonna lay cut this shit off. Jesus. Oh, Lord, Jesus. Friday, Saturday, ain't this a bitch? Run my fingers through your hair. Ugh, ain't it, though? Even a no-strings-attached one-night stand can be tough stuff. That's a really long time to stand. So, sometimes when the going gets tough, the tough get asexual. We bring you Drabble News. Check this. Thanks to DreamRock for posting this in our discussion forums. From LiveScience.com. Almost all plants and animals embrace sexual reproduction. Asexual things like fungi, liverworts, Madeleine Albright, and photosynthetic algae are doomed to extinction unless they change it up every now and then. But tiny invertebrates called deloid rotifers haven't done the nasty in over 80 million years. Deloid rotifers are found all over the world, basically anywhere there's a drop or two of water. They look like little worms about a half millimeter long with two rotating electric toothbrush heads on top that spin and filter food out of the water into their little sort of vacuum function mouths. And they seem to have a lot of charisma and a cute laugh. Some of us could probably do worse. So what is it exactly that's holding up the rotifers game? I mean, what? She have a penis? Or something? Nope. Astoundingly, scientists have determined that they're all females. Without penises. Turns out that rotifers prefer being asexual. They're done with men. They just want to take their shoes off and get in a circle and dance. Hey! Oh my god, I just want to take my shoes off and get in a oh circle god, and dance! I love this so out of control right now. I've got a vacuum function mouth. 
From a biological perspective, though, there is a cost to sex. It's much easier to just reproduce on your own. You don't have to find a mate. Once you do find one, you don't have to worry about things like courtship competition, venereal disease, getting attacked by a predator during the sex act. You don't have to listen to them endlessly yammering on and on at dinner about their mind-numbingly uninteresting hobbies. You don't have to change your status on Facebook. You don't have to change your underwear every day. There's tons of advantages. The main one being, of course, that you'll always know that your kids will be awesome because they'll be genetic copies of you. Sexual reproduction doesn't always make sense, says Christopher Wilson, a rotifer researcher at Cornell University. Why would you mix up your genes at every generation when, in fact, you can pass 100% of your genes on every single time, he asks. In sexual reproduction, you get females sort of voluntarily submitting their genes into this random lottery where only half of them end up in an offspring and half of them come from the sperm of some unrelated male who really, in many species, contributes very little else. Whoa, hey now. However, many scientists think that one key advantage of sex is avoiding disease. Sexual reproduction brings in new genes, and that can make a species hardier and more resistant to deadly microbes, especially those found in bachelor pads and dirty boxer briefs. This makes continued asexual reproduction particularly dangerous for a species. But clearly, the deloid rotifer has been pulling it off for a long, long time. <laughs> what I mean is that they've somehow survived this long as asexual organisms, probably blind ones at that. Rotifer researcher Chris Wilson describes, in the current issue of Science Magazine, the rotifer has a remarkable defense. They enter a state called anhydrobiosis, he says. That's life without water, and they essentially become little inanimate dust particles. There's a fungus that likes to attack the rotifer, but when it's in this desiccated state, there's nothing for the fungus to eat, and because it's now nothing but dust, it can blow away in the wind, with any luck, landing in a new fungus-free pond. With a good DJ and half-price sour apple martinis, hey! <laughs> By constantly moving to new habitats, the rotifers can outrun their parasites without needing the variation that sex would provide, continues Wilson. So how do they know that there aren't any male rotifers somewhere out there? Biologist John Logson isn't totally convinced that deloid rotifers never have sex. He says that there may be male rotifers out there somewhere. Yes, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, he says. But this is evidence of abstinence we're talking about. And that's probably plenty evidence for the absence. See you later, male rotifers. Hey, we're just being honest here. In your profile, it says 102. How does Yahoo let these people online? It's a cruel world. Drabble time. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words. Send yours into Drabblecast at yahoo.com. This week's Drabble is called The Stone Who Loved, written by Nathan Lee. Nathan is a former English major and English teacher with more ideas than sense, with the end result that he currently works as a phone monkey for a compliance hotline. He lives in Charlotte, North Carolina with his wife Angela and two cats named Ozymandias and Belshazzar. Nathan's been writing stories since sometime in third grade, and his mother says they're very nice. His work can primarily be found at his daily writing blog, Mirror Shards, that's mirrorshards.org, where he publishes a 100-word story every day, and has done so every day since November 2008. Taku sat beside the wisest stone. 
She has rejected my advances, he said, scraping at the wooden bench with his knife. I feel as though I might die. The wisest stone thought before he spoke. I once had a love, he said. Taku glanced over, eyebrows raised. I loved a river. She was beautiful, and she danced in the sunlight. I strove mightily to please her, but when I had achieved it, I found it was not to be, and it would have been better had I not pursued her. What happened? asked Taku. I used to be a mountain. Well, our feature story this week is called Family Values, written by Sarah Genge. Sarah's appeared in Strange Horizons, Helix SF, Weird Tales, Apex Magazine, Shimmer, and four times in Asimov's science fiction and fantasy. And her stories have been translated into Greek, Czech, Hebrew, and Spanish. This story first appeared in Cosmos Magazine. The story is read to you by Tracy Pfau. Tracy was born in Hollywood and raised in Arcadia, California, but spent every summer in Ellensburg, Washington, on her grandparents' horse ranch. Her uncle Jack and aunt Smoke, ranchers in Washington, supplied horses for James Arness and the rest of the Gunsmoke cast. Cool. Tracy's been happily married to actor-writer Stephen Jared for 12 years. They spend their time together in their California bungalow in Pasadena and have a little dog, Riley, and a cat named Capra. Tracy's a voiceover artist specializing in audiobooks, animation, looping, and all genres of voiceover business. You can view her camera credits at imdb.com. Just type in her name. She can be reached at tracyfau at yahoo.com. That's T-R-A-C-Y-P-F-A-U at yahoo.com. You'll find her links in our show notes. So without further ado, Family Values by Sarah Genge. Senator Wu accepted Twing Seed out of courtesy, although she had no intention of conceiving his child. Twing of Sales had thrown this party in his house in her honor, but he wasn't as free as Killer Jewels, as he was with genetic material, and Senator Wu wasn't prepared to funnel the heat donations of her two crush mates to bring another man's child to the world. She acidified the pores in her tentacle and waved it around, letting the current carry away the dead spores. She smiled at Twing, and a wave of blue burst from his center, and radiated towards the thin membranes that rippled on the edge of his disc-shaped body. He didn't look bad, but he wasn't as comely as Senator Wu. Her body was an almost perfect sphere, and she was well aware of it. Wherever she went, she took care to rotate every few minutes, lest gravity pull her too long in one direction and tug her gelatinous figure out of shape. Although she was tired, Wu was careful not to show it. Her pregnancies were progressing nicely. The eldest fetus, Hu, was about to be born, and she was getting too big for parties. 
But the Senate elections were only months away, and her visible pregnancies gave her an advantage she could not afford to waste. Aspiring Senator Breeder was angling for a permanent seat, and Wu disliked the woman openly. Wu's seat was not in question, but if Breeder were appointed, it would be seen as nothing less than a personal rebuke of the people to Senator Wu. Breeder was too young to be fertile. Wu's size and roundness reminded everyone that experience was on her side. She drifted off to a group of men and watched them praying for her. Responding graciously to their advances and admiring their rainbow of colors. Most of them were senators and she regaled them by pumping blood into the small sexy capillaries that could be seen through her transparent gelatin. May I dance with you, Senator Wu? Wu whirled around. <gasps> I'm sorry, you startled me. The young man went crimson around the center and purple around the edges. Wu was sorry to have discomforted him. It was indelicate of her, but she had been caught off guard. He turned away. Oh no, please stay. It is good to be startled now and again, don't you think? Especially for an old politician like me. Monotony is the seed of detachment from the people. She let the phrase trail and, sure enough, the man picked it up from there. And distance from the people's needs leads to corruption. Yes, he said. The perfect school response, Wu expected. At least he didn't seem mortified any longer. His color was almost back to normal. But nobody here could call you an old politician, Senator. Last year's energy resolution was everything but conservative. I understand how you got the children's vote. Only a mother can make someone feel so loved and cherished. Senator Wu squinted at him. Was he flirting? It was his right to do so. Nobody would dream of denying a young man's right to secure a place in a creche. But most of the younger generation didn't dare make advances. Her kudos was too great. Her crush was too stable and the chances were slim of her adding another mate to it and risking confrontation with her existing partners. The older men never gave up, of course. Even having a child by her or publicly donating energy towards her ongoing pregnancies would give them a huge boost on a political level. But who couldn't tell what this young man wanted? I was greatly honored by the children's vote, she said. I sometimes think they perceive things on a non-verbal level that adults are simply immune to. Getting the kids' votes makes me feel I'm floating in the right current. I feel I'm projecting the right image and that they know I'm telling the truth. Wu fell silent. She hadn't meant to get so personal with this stranger. The man smiled and nodded. You are right. 
There is a truthfulness about you that can be easily sensed. I am a teacher. I understand about children. Was he mocking her? Teaching was such an honor that it was almost always awarded only to those who had age and wisdom to accumulate kudos and endorsements. A teacher? Aren't you too young for that? I am teacher of the Muddy Waters, and I recall a certain senator who was invested soon after her first marriage. Wu smiled, relieved. She liked this teacher. He was a good dancer. Senator Wu had never been known for her agility, but at least now that she was pregnant, she had a good excuse. She shouldn't have worried. Teacher knew all the tricks, leaning against a wall to propel her weight across the room, using the delicate currents of Twing's house to twirl them both with dignity and grace. You've done this before, haven't you? Senator Wu asked. Dance? It's a required course in school, Senator Wu. She stung him lightly with her tentacle. Stop that! You know what I mean. You know how to dance with a pregnant woman. He shrugged modestly and launched into the next round with gusto. After a while, Wu excused herself and floated around for a couple more hours, playing politics in three dimensions and enjoying the taste of the water. Twing was always good at throwing a party and he sure knew how to scent his house. Wu wondered if he'd give her the secret recipe. Maybe if she hinted at burying his child. No. Not even Twing was stupid enough to believe that. She sighed. Improving her homemaking skills would really put her a step above Breeder. Once in a while, she saw Teacher exchanging pleasantries with a lesser academic or revolutionaire. He always seemed to know when she was watching, lifting his food up to her in salutation and forcing her to nod her approval of the woman he was floating with. It was always a different lady. Teacher of the Muddy Waters seemed to be doing well for himself. By mid-morning, Wu was exhausted and desperate for some sleep. She propelled herself towards the back of the house, hoping to find a silent room in which to rest before returning to the party. Breeder hadn't shown up yet, and it was unthinkable for Wu to leave before confronting the woman. Twing's house was not modest, and she ambled along the corridors until the music and gossip were no more than a faint hum behind her. She lay on a cream futon, buckled herself down against the current, and fell asleep. A sharp rap awoke her. Slightly dazed, she checked the time, realized she'd been snoozing for hours. Senator, teacher of muddy waters, entered the room. He looked as fresh as he had twelve hours ago when the party started. Senator Wu sat up and tried to look as dignified as she could, with the blues of sleep still clinging to her tentacles. 
It is rumored that aspiring Senator Breeder is on her way. I thought I'd wake you. I am very grateful. That was thoughtful of you. Wu remained groggy and surely not looking her best. She rose and tried to get the color back into her flesh. Breeder would be rested and eager for a dialectic war. Well, if I'm ever going to make it into your crash, I should start looking out for you now, shouldn't I? Said teacher. Wu laughed and felt a healthy pink fill her capillaries. Teacher of Muddy Waters laughed too, but for a second she wondered if he wasn't half serious. You are a daring man, she said. I haven't even begun daring yet. Teacher accompanied her towards the hall and they stopped in the corridor, just out of sight of the party going on inside, and listened. Wu had learned this trick early on in her career. Best to know the crowd's mood before making an entrance, and people spoke loudly when they'd gone long without sleep. She's not here? That could only be aspiring Senator Breeder's voice. Well, a woman of her age. It's totally understandable. No, don't wake her. Senator Wu is a valuable asset to the Senate. We must take good care of her. She's not as young as she used to be. Wu tried not to giggle. Breeder must really learn to be subtle. Teacher grinned. I shouldn't laugh, said Wu. She's got a point. I had to sleep and it's just like Breeder to focus on age and not on the pregnancy. Oh, well, I might as well go in. The harm is done. No, teacher grabbed her by the tentacle. I believe we can still save face. With your permission. Senator Wu started to pull away, but then she felt the heat flowing from his appendage to hers. She was dumbfounded. Nobody gave away Keela jewels this easily. She threw her head back and channeled the energy towards her babies. With this donation, who would be born in less than a week? Are you sure you want to do this? She whispered. Teacher pushed her against the wall and pressed his disc to her sphere. Wu felt her skin stretch and dilate, offering the maximum surface to heat transaction. Her capillaries slinked towards the surface of her skin, warming her blood and channeling it deep into the secret bulges hidden in the center of her body. He transferred fast. Ten million zetajoules and counting, and he didn't look tired or seem to want to stop. Wu started weaning Hu off and directed most of the energy to the younger fetus. After all, she didn't want to give birth here and now. He broke off what seemed like an eternity later. A grey tint shimmered on the fringes of his disc and he shivered. Wu glowed bright orange and anyone within two feet of her would be able to tell that she had received incredible amounts of heat. That should do it, whispered teacher. Nobody can fault you for leaving the party and get energy for your unborn children. Good family values. 
breeder is never going to recover from this. Wu glided towards him. She had never felt so good. Water tasted so much better with energy in one's body. Color shone brighter, and teacher looked pale but incredibly attractive. Why did you do that? she asked. I told you, he said, leaning against the wall for support, panting. I plan to be in your crash someday. I thought I'd let you know that I might not have much kudos, but there's something to be said for youth. There certainly is. Do you want to go in with me? People should recognize your generosity, she said. No, an anonymous donation will be better for your kudos. He was right. Breda would realize that Wu remained sufficiently attractive to receive heat on her own account, not for her political position. You are astute. Senator Wu took his tentacle in hers and squeezed it. You don't need to do that, he said. I know you don't want my spores, and I understand. But Wu massaged his tentacle until she felt his seed float into her paws. I don't have to, but I want to. Who knows? Someday I might have energy for another child. Before she left, she took the rhinestone pendant that was draped across her front and handed it to him. This will get you into a senate hearing, if you ever need to. It will also guarantee that you will be heeded. Senator Wu pushed open the doors and nodded gracefully as the room fell silent. People crept up to her, reveling in the stray wisps of heat her body emanated. Teacher had been right. Aspiring Senator Breeder would remain aspiring and nothing more. Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Pinched for time this week, so I'm going to go ahead and split early, but not before announcing our weekly TwitFic winner, Poppy Dragon. 100 character story coming at ya. Liquefied brains dripped through her fingers into the sink. This time, she thought, I might have overdone the peroxide. Might have. Think you can write a good story in only 100 characters? Give it a go. Post it in the TwitFix section of our discussion forums. See what people think. Okay, so you know the deal. The Drabblecast is produced under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but share it all you like. We rely on your support week to week to pay authors, license music, web space, all that jazz. Throw us some love if you've got the means. You'll find PayPal support options off of our main page at drabblecast.org. Special thanks to this week's episode artist, Chelsea Reagan. Love it, Chelsea. You'll find links to Chelsea's work in our show notes. So have a good week, weirdos. Our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to change your boxer briefs. picks up his tip jaw and drink, and the bartender shouts last round. An hour ago this place was loaded. 
And noise filled the room like the smoke And laughter and curses spilled like booze from a glass Words were all slurred when spoke Yes, words were all splurred when slurred Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.